0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let's pray together. Our God and our Heavenly Father, we pray that our restless hearts might find their home in you, through your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. We catch up uh, with King David, and this is uh, really, literally, the crowning moment in his life. We get some Old Testament math here in Second Samuel chapter 5, and I would invite you to follow along because our lectionary omitted what I suppose they think are the difficult verses, uh, but I think are the most important verses uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And so if you'd like to follow along, that's page 257 in your pew Bibles. And here we're given math uh, as to uh, how long David has been reigning. This is 15 years. Well, just to give you an idea, 15 years after Samuel anointed him to become king of Judah. And then there was infighting between the house of Saul and the house of David. And then for another seven. He ruled over all of Israel there in Hebron. I'm sorry, not over Israel. He ruled over Judah there in Hebron. And then finally we get to the place where all the tribes of Israel say, finally we will submit to your kingship. So for over 20 years, King David was God's king, and yet it finally didn't happen in fact until now. For over 20 years, David waited for what God had certainly called him to be. And we know what's been happening in those 22 years. Uh, David's been on the run from Saul. He's longed for peace, for belonging, for security. He longs for permanence. He wants a home. And God makes him king over all of Israel. And he's given a worldly city in which to call home. In verse 6, And the king, that is David and his men, went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, You will not come in here, but the blind and lame will ward you off, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion that is the city of David and David said on that day whoever would strike the Jebusites let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind who are hated <clears throat> excuse me hated by David's soul David was ruling in Hebron which is west of Israel not by very much west of Jerusalem but not by very much and so it, Jerusalem in all of its history had only been attacked by the north and would continue to be it had been attacked numerous times, but the north was the path of least resistance. But David has an idea. There's a sewer system. You can actually go visit it. Just three weeks ago, I was standing in it where Joab and his men went up and took the city of David, Zion, Jerusalem. And so they crawled up the water shaft, and there they took the city. But the people who were dwelling, the Jebusites, thought even the lame and the blind can keep David out. Nothing. Nothing can take this city away from us. And yet the city was given over to David, and there he would reign in security. David finally had a home. And then in verse 10, David became greater and greater for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. But even after getting all that, getting the crown, getting a home, Even David wouldn't be satisfied. Jerusalem was not enough. He wanted to build a temple for God, and God said, no, you won't build me a temple. In his own life, in the spring, when the kings of the world are supposed to go off to war, David stayed behind and committed adultery with Bathsheba, thinking his life would be better to sin in such a way. You know, David is not unlike any of us who live in a homesick world. Don't you long to belong for a sense of permanence, for a sense of place, for a sense of belonging? And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Home. Where do we find it? Have you ever tried to go home? If you didn't grow up in Birmingham, have you ever tried to go back to the town you came from, or have you ever gone back to your old college or university, and everything still looks the same, and yet everything has changed radically. Your eyes see home, but your heart knows that it's no longer the place that you long for it to be. Thomas Wolfe was right. You can't go home again. And so we find ourselves sojourners in this world trying to find a place of rest for our homesick souls. Where is home for us? This homesickness, I believe, is at the root of the epidemic of depression in our country. It manifests itself in serious ways. I've been thinking about our liturgy lately, And how on most Sundays when we have morning prayer, we pray that the hope of the poor not be taken away. But what about the hope of the rich? The hope of Anthony Bourdain? The hope of Kate Spade? All the people who seem to have gotten where they're supposed to be, who have it made, who have reached the top of the profession, who have accumulated accolades and have everything that they could possibly want, and yet find that it's not enough, and that life, in fact, would be better if they were to take their own lives. The suicide rate amongst the well-to-do, the well-accomplished, is astronomical. And brothers and sisters, it affects us too. I want to stop and take a moment to talk about suicide, the sense of hopelessness, the disease of depression that overwhelms us to the point where we feel like we have no other way out. Most of us have been raised in the South where we've been told that suicide is the most selfish thing that you can do. Surely, it is grievous and it's a terrible loss. But we have created an environment where people who really need help can't ask for help. They can't be honest about where their heart is, where their soul is, for fear of judgment. And yet, of any place where people ought to be honest, In this world, it's here. Not necessarily because of this place, but because who is in this place? Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, if you're in a dark place today, if you feel like there's no way out, know that we are here for you. And to reach out and to ask for help Now, many of us don't struggle with that notion of taking our own lives, but there's not one of us in here this morning who hasn't looked in the mirror and wished that we were somebody else. Even though the rest of the world may look at you and think, that's who I want to be. You still see yourself as homeless and struggling in this world. And that's because we're all looking for an earthly kingdom. We're all looking for an earthly Jerusalem where we think if we can finally get there, we've got it made. And yet we see in verse 10 that that's not the case. Why did David become greater and greater? Why was he at home? It's because the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. Even Jesus goes back to his hometown, and what happens? He's rejected. It's remarkable, the irony, that this world has everything. And yet it has nothing that we need. Instead, God's word tells us to direct our eyes toward him and to find our rest in him, our heavenly king, our heavenly kingdom. So many of us struggle with this homesickness. We're all in the same boat. and We don't know where to turn. Even those of us that know that there's no such thing as home, that the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. But what do we do as we sojourn in this world? How do, we, how do we deal with our heart sickness? We hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who when he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue and he stood up to read... And he was handed a scroll from the prophet Isaiah and he said this, listen to the words of Jesus himself, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, not economically necessarily, but poor in spirit, whether you be down and out or whether you be Anthony Bourdain. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And everybody's eyes were fixed upon him. And he said to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He says to us, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me in my Father's house or many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Are you homesick? Is your heart wandering this morning? Does it cry out for belonging? It ought to, because your real home is a heavenly one. Not a Jerusalem built by human hands. It's not one that you have to storm the ramparts to get to. It's not one that, like Joab, you have to crawl through sewers to get to. It is the new Jerusalem. And at the center is the very Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world who died in order to give you a home. And there will come a day when we will be delivered from this world and we will stand before its gates and upon seeing you, they are thrown open wide by the command of the king and you will make your way through that glorious and great city. And the king himself who sits at the center will be raised from his throne and he will open his arms and he will embrace you, his son, his daughter. But while we sojourn, this promise is still real for us now. Our gathering together this morning is the earthly manifestation of the heavenly gathering of those who sit around the throne of God. We are the saints gathered because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And his call to come home is upon each and every single one of us now. And so this morning, hear the voice of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who calls you home from, his wa- from your wandering. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling Calling for you and for me. See on the portals he's waiting and watching. Watching for you and for me. Come home. Come home. You who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, oh sinner, come home.